0: we're all of superstars. Hair, on, a of Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries. 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. I am joined today by yet another phenomenal guest. My guest today is a gentleman by the name of Jake Gold. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jake before I turn it over, as I always do to unscripted dialogue. So who is Jake? Well, Jake Gold is an American-born Canadian musician manager. He was a judge on the Canadian Idol television program. In addition to Idol participants, he has managed popular Canadian artists like the Tragically Hip, the Watchmen, the Clicks, and Sass Jordan. His management company, the Management Trust, MGM Trust, currently works with a number of artists like Mo Berg and Lawrence Curry. He has been awarded Manager of the Year three. Times by the Canadian music industry. So, Jake, I want to welcome you to my show. How are you?
1: Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's lovely to have you. I mean, being a fellow Canadian, you know that we uh, love you dearly and you've been followed for many years. So, I just want to do, as I always do, Jake, I always am interested in knowing the inception of my guest journey. So where did this all begin for you? What Did it drive out of passion as somebody who was naturally drawn to music uh, and then you kind of morphed into the business world in terms of representing talented folk? or How did this all align for you?
1: Well, interestingly enough, um, I was reminded by some friends that I grew up with from, from public school that we, you know, I get together with these guys every every once in a while to play cards. And uh, a while back, one of them said, you know, you and this other friend of ours were the only guys that got to do what they always wanted to do. And I said, why do you say that? And they said, don't you remember in grade six when you were, you know, 11, the that there were these three women that wanted to uh, enter the school talent contest and you said that you would... Um, banished them and so you rehearsed them for two weeks and then they ended up winning the contest <laughs> and I was like I guess I started when I was 11 so, wow. that's so I, and, and I, I didn't remember that and then they reminded me of and I said oh wow that's pretty cool and then and then uh you know but basically I used to sing in bands when I was uh in my teenage years in high school and then I went on the road with a band that my friend was uh my friends were in and and we did, uh, I was a lighting guy, and it was me and a sound guy. And then I moved to L.A. for a couple of years and did, you know, did some work on the phones, actually learned how to sell over the phones. This was back in 1979, 80. And then I uh, ended up coming back to Toronto because a friend of mine's band was um, had got a record deal, and they are about to go on tour, and they asked me to be their tour manager and uh, and lighting guy. And they ended up breaking up after like a month, mm-hmm. but they reformed and my buddy who I had grown up, grown up with, was the drummer, came to me and said, we want you to be our manager. And I said, well, I don't know anything about it. And his words were, don't worry, you'll be good. And that was in 1981. And that's kind of all I've ever done since.
0: Amazing. Well, let me go back to the three people at the uh, the talent contest. How did they fare as a result of being led by you and and coached oh, by I, you? I,
1: I I had said they won.
0: Okay, fantastic, amazing. And so the other thing that you said that I really appreciate, Jake, because I think it's very important for the listeners uh, to really hone in on this point. Is you know you didn't just land in it. A lot of people they think success is an overnight gig that things just always align with people people get one great opportunity after another but really going back to what you've cited you really do have to pay your dues and work your way up the ladder and be humble enough to do so correct
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's that's um that's you know there's no such thing as an overnight success even with even with a band mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't happen that way bands have to uh Fans have to um, uh, put in there, you know, as Malcolm Gladwell says, ten thousand hours. Mm -hmm. You know, that's important. And, you know, I always said that, you know, you have to build a critical mass with any business. So, so, you know, I I I didn't start making real money as a manager till I was, you know, almost ten years in, and that's. And I always used to say it was the 10-year plan. And then Malcolm Gladwell came out with his book and said, you know, 10,000 hours, which was basically 10 years. So right. it's the same thing. And I didn't start making real money until I'd been doing it for 10 years, you know, where I was able to actually, you know, pay my own bills. And, you mm-hmm. know, so I was, I was struggling, you know, I was, you know, working 18-hour days. I'm still working long hours because that's what we do.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: It, it, doesn't, it doesn't stop you know if you're going to be an entrepreneur you know that's what you do it's 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 as much a lifestyle as it is a uh as it is a job like i don't think of myself as having a job i've never really i joke all the time i've never had a job and i hate my boss you know
0: right <laughs> We talk about that quite a, uh, quite a lot actually on radio because a lot of the people who I do showcase uh, do tend to be entrepreneurs and have that entrepreneurial spirit and it's true people would much rather you know bust and, and hustle and grind eighteen hours a day for something that they absolutely feel impassioned to do feel a calling to do they they know it's innately their purpose and it's their choice to honor themselves and going forward and you know the other thing that you said too that I think is very important for the listening audience here is you know, it, it is once you really get to that point, that echelon in your career where you start to really feel like you're in the groove, like everything is starting to come together. And it doesn't minimize or negate the fact that there's always going to be challenges and there's always going to be, uh, you know, third party people that you're somewhat reliant on to make things magically happen and get out of the gate. Um, but, you know, it's important to also note that. When you really love what you do, and you're on that momentous path, and you're continually starting to see the climb, and you're feeling the climb, and your name's getting more recognizable as as it has for you, Jake, you know, you probably continually get busier because more people want to attach their name to yours, or they they really appreciate the integrity of your work or your brand or your reputation. That that just brings about additional collaboration and partnership and opportunities, does it not?
1: Well, listen, critical mass is key, right? Like, that's what's really important is that, you know, um, when you first start in any business, people want to make sure that you're real, that you're going to stick around. Mm-hmm. So so it's important that, you know, you're, you stick around, that they know that if, because, you know, one of the things that I always believe is that we're we're really not in it, we're all in the same business, no matter what business you're in. And it's, and it's a relationship business yes and and we're, we're all in that business, and so nobody's going to feel like um, no one's going to feel like getting involved in in, a, uh, in a, um, a relationship with someone that they don't think is going to be around mm-hmm. You know and
0: what I, mean? I absolutely do. And because, you know, being an entrepreneur and a lot of the things that we do, whether you're a podcaster, whether, you know, you do what you do, Jake, in the music industry and all the artists and everybody who's aspiring to kind of so-called make it, you know, it, what separates, in your opinion, having worked and in interfaced with so many people, putting talent and skill aside, but what do you think separates the dime a dozen people in any respective industry, to the people who actually do shine, do stand out, and who are taken seriously, aside from the longevity?
1: Well, I, I think, look, you know, I, I invest in stars. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it. It sounds so trite. But I literally do. I invest in stars. I, I'm looking for people that know how to move people.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's and, it. And what do you, you think – and what would you say, based on your expertise, your experience, and having been around the block and having a good radar for people in general? Being around I- the
1: block makes me sound so old and tired.
0: <laughs> well, you're neither <laughs> of Why
1: me- are you saying that? Been <laughs> around the block, that's not fun.
0: No, but you're veteran. I'm, I'm a,
1: I'm a, I am call myself a 59-year-old millennial. I know? love
0: it. I love it. Yeah,
1: I probably know more about about you know the the modern world and most people in their 20s but go ahead.
0: No, and you're probably right. And you know it's all a matter of interpretation. When I say around the block, I, that's actually an indirect compliment. It shows that you're a veteran. Okay, okay. Yes.
1: I'll I'll, I'll take it that way, Lisa. Please do. <laughs>
0: Please do take it for the compliment that it was. So, you know, but what establishes people, what differentiates people do you believe? Again, aside from the longevity that they've invested into their careers and, and taking talent and skill aside, because we know sometimes people who are deemed to be the it factor, it doesn't always come down to just skill and talent. It embodies... Well,
1: listen, it's hard work, Lisa. Okay? Yep. It's hard work. And secondly... You know, I always say this when I have a band come in to meet with me. You know, I work with other kinds of talent. I work with a hypnotist um, who's got a great show called Hip Prov that he works with um, improv people. I work with uh, two authors. I manage a, a, a chef named Christine Tissard. Uh She's got a, a show on, on YouTube called The, the Three-Way Chef, and she has a book coming out, a cookbook coming out. I work with a, a stylist. Um, who has a YouTube channel. So I work with a lot of different types of talent. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, it's I always say the same thing to them, is there's no plan B. Mm-hmm. And if they come in here and say, you know, I do this on the side because I'm, an, I'm a banker or, or I'm this or I work in an insurance company or I'm this, then I generally don't work with them. Right. If my feeling is always, you know, this has to be your number one priority. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, how am I going to pay my bills? I say, well, you know what? That's the struggle. And that's what, that's what separates, you know, the people that do it from the people who don't. And, and if you look at the really, even, if you just look at the artists, for example, the musicians, the great artists, the really successful ones probably couldn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not really employable people. Right. They probably couldn't have a job. Could you imagine Bob Dylan having a job? Could you imagine <laughs> Kurt Cobain having a job? Like, you know, you have to think about it from that standpoint. So, So my whole thing has always been about, you know, if I'm going to come to work every day mm-hmm. and I don't have a plan B, why would I work with someone that has a plan B? Pingo. And it, it was really interesting. I heard um, Ed Sheeran on, an, on Howard Stern's show uh, recently and he, in an interview. And, and uh, the, it was on a little while ago, and then they rebroadcast it recently. And, and he said, they, You know, Howard asked him the question, Why you? Mm-hmm. And he said, Look, you know, there's a lot of great, talented singer songwriters out there who some may be more talented than me. He says, But I've got to tell you, I never had a plan B. Like he used those exact words. Mm -hmm. And, and, And he said, this is all I've ever done since I was 15 years old.
0: Well, you hit upon something that I really think is important to emphasize because this is something that I've said myself being interviewed by other people and I think if you truly are all in, if you say that you are 100% full throttle all in, then how can that be true if you do in fact have a contingency plan? To me, that that kind of contradicts uh, the whole statement of saying, yeah, please take me seriously. I do deem this to be a priority. Uh, this isn't just a hobby. This is actually part of my DNA. So I, I really like the fact that you brought that up because I think it's an important um, I think it's it's very important to highlight that for people who are maybe listening into the program they're listening to what you're saying they see what you do for a living and these are the these are the things that you would have to discern with the people that you choose to align with and take on to represent so for the people that you do represent for the people that you do choose to represent taking aside uh what you just said about them not having a plan b they have to be all in and it has to be their number one priority what else makes you feel like okay this is a good fit this is a good match is it synergy is it it, what would that be for you jake
1: Well, I have to like the people. Like, life's too short to work with assholes. Excuse my language. You know? Um, (laughs) I really have to like them. And I have to be able to trust them. Right. You know? Right. But I also have to know that I feel that they can move people.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And so far, has it been a pretty good record for you, a good run with the people that you have chosen to represent?
1: Uh, No, it's, you know, if you're in the business, you know, um, if you're in the business, you're you're not going to have. I'd be lying if I said everything I touched was a hit. That's just not true. Right. You know, you know, they still have to make great music. Mm-hmm. You know, and on that front, there there has to be. You have to make great content, whether it's music, whether it's you know whatever you're doing.
0: Absolutely absolutely you do. So in terms of going back to what I cited in the top of the hour there, I mean, you're notably known aside from a, some of the other accolades I had already mentioned and highlighted uh but in terms of your 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 time on Canadian Idol, you know, again, it's like everything else. People see it, you know, there's been perhaps some editing that's gone on in the background, you do, pre-records, whatever the case may be, but In terms of some of the challenges or educating the listeners here, even myself, Jake, you know, what do people not necessarily know? People think this is all bling and it's all jazzed up and, uh, you know, what a wonderful opportunity and I'm sure that it is and I'm sure that you're humble and grateful for everything uh, that has crossed paths with you. But what would people not necessarily know about whether you call it show business or being on TV or being a part of uh, being instrumental in in you know, pivotal with people's journeys, people who take the stage and you've got so many people to choose from and you have to make decisions, split second decisions. So, you know, what can you enlighten us about that experience that the general public might not otherwise know?
1: Um, Well, first of all, you know, what you need to understand is, is, um, you know, the, the, as far as the TV show goes, that was um, only the, the, uh, the audition shows were pre-recorded. The other shows were all live, live. Right. So it was whatever it was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and there wasn't really much behind the scenes. As far as the, t- the audition shows go, you know, we would shoot hundreds of hours of footage. And I always would say the editors were the real stars of those shows because mm-hmm. they would have to sift through all this footage um you know while we were shooting the producers would be sitting at a desk looking at a television screen and you know if they saw something great that they said okay that needs to be in the show they would mark it and make sure the editors knew that mm-hmm. but by and large you know there'd be so many cameras and so many angles and so many different things said we would see you know upwards of you know 60 to 100 people a day mm-hmm. when we were doing auditions so Really it was up to the, the production team to decide how what people were going to see when it came to the auditions but you know at the end of the day um, once we got to the, the top 20 where we went live live mm-hmm. that's where you know the public decided on who they liked and you know there was no instructions no one told us oh you have to do this 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 right right none of that um, we just did what we felt, you know. I always had a rule with them, and I told them, you know, I'll never say anything that I wouldn't say to a client.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that was my personal rule. But there was no like, oh, we want you to be more like this. Or, we want you to. There was none of that. Right. At least not with me. At least not with me. I don't know if anything was said to anybody else.
0: Okay. So. Fair enough. And and so when you're in a position. Uh, and you're, you know, you're part of the journey with somebody who's really got lofty goals and somebody who clearly believes in themselves. Cause I think it takes a lot of courage to take the stage and to, and to be perhaps ridiculed or to be dissected, uh, or just to be on camera. Um, so for people who perhaps for whatever the reason may be, clearly there was some, maybe some talent, but they had a moment where they kind of succumbed to the pressure, uh, kind of had an out-of-body experience but it didn't work in their favor when you see somebody who just doesn't pull it all together in the moment that they're supposed to shine and they're being evaluated and it's a you know it's a do or die kind of moment do you ever go back is there ever an opportunity to go back to some of these people who just maybe didn't shine in that particular moment but you knew that they were too good to let go or or to not follow up with
1: Uh, you know what i don't even remember Okay. <laughs> I I, th- I think that like uh, there were there were people remember once the public once it went to the public it was out of our hands anyway so it right. didn't matter. Right? Um right. there were people that um, uh, in the audition process that we you know that were we let's say we gave a gold ticket to yeah. and then we went to the first round of the top, you know, 200 100 whatever it was to get down to the 20 where we would do three days of like really sort of, you know, cruel boot camp almost. Um, if we felt that someone didn't have a great day on the first day, but we remember their audition, we would say, okay, well let's give them a pass and let's see how they do tomorrow. You know? So we would, we would do that. We would always give everybody the benefit of the doubt if we felt they were really strong when we first saw them. Um, there was nobody that we would that so you you would have had to have at least got to that round before we would even consider thinking about whether they were they were worthy. Um, but like I said, once it got to the top twenty, in some years it was twenty-two. It really was up. That's where the public voted. So we mm-hmm. didn't really. In you know, all, we could say is what we thought of their performances, and if that somehow. Um, you know tilted the audience to vote a certain way then that's what would happen but there wasn't a um, a specified um, movement to like oh let's all get behind this person because we need to really push them that that wasn't how it went
0: Okay. Well, that's good to know because, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. And, of course, nobody can really speak to that experience. aside. But even if
1: from it some... was, I wouldn't tell you, so it doesn't matter. I, I'm
0: sure you wouldn't. Um. And... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I love your honesty. You're pretty blunt. I love that. Um, well,
1: you, you know, it have like… to listen. be… It is TV, you know, it's, you know, there's a, there's a thing I say, and I think it happens way too often in our, in, in our industry these days, especially with social media and everything else is like, you know, you don't always have to pull the curtain back from the wizard.
0: Right. Very you know, true. like, yeah.
1: like having a little bit of mystique, having a little bit of, you know, a lot of people buy into fantasy, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, why don't you like share... There's
1: there's, a, there's an artist that is my favorite artist of all time, and that's Peter Gabriel.
0: Oh, he's amazing.
1: Now, I, now I have had many opportunities to meet Peter Gabriel, to have oh. dinner with him, like all kinds of opportunities thrown at me. Mm-hmm. And I have turned every single one of them down. Why? Because I don't want to meet him. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's, I'm, and everyone says, oh, he's the nicest guy, but, and I'm sure he is, I'm sure he's wonderful, I'm sure he's an awesome person, but I do not want to meet him.
0: Are you worried about maybe the illusion of some of what you think or, or presume to be embodied into part of his personality that by meeting him it kind of dispels a bit of that and you don't want that shaken?
1: I just, uh, I, I literally don't want it, I don't want to normalize him. You know, oh. I just don't, I just, I actually was at a, a, a show of his in Montreal. He was performing with, the, with an orchestra. He was on tour with an orchestra. My brother and I drove up it was my brother's birthday, and, and I said, let's go, because he's a huge fan, too. And we drove to Montreal. We went to the show. And we were backstage, and he was, you know, meeting people and greeting people at this uh, this sort of meet-and-greet thing. And he was just walking around, you know, um, a lot of people there. And I literally took a picture of my brother and him.
0: Wow. Lovely. But you didn't want a picture of you and him?
1: Nope.
0: Okay. Wow. You're pretty firm nope. on your non-negotiables, aren't you?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think you so have to, you know, I think that's a, that's another thing is that, you know, it's in, it's interesting you bring that up because in my mind you you really do have to decide who you are and what you are and how you want to, you know, how you want to see yourself.
0: Excellent. Um it was
1: the same way on Idol uh, okay. that I was specific about how I wanted to be represented. Mm-hmm. Um if I felt like th- there were a couple of times where there was a uh there was a um, a, uh, a particular editing in an episode that I didn't like how it was edited because I specifically asked, I need to see how you're going to put that piece together. And I saw and I said, I don't like, you know, how this is being perceived. We need to do this, this, and this in order for it to come off the way it should come off. And they agreed with me and we, we re-edited it, you know, so.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, why don't you, I mean, There's always public opinion out there and there's always going to be the haters and there's always going to be the supporters and whatnot. But it's more important for whatever you do, just walking the face of the earth, whether you're out as a public figure or in the public eye or not, that you feel comfortable in your own skin, that you own the stage in your own life. So in terms of who you know yourself to be inside and out, how do you characterize yourself, Jake?
1: You know what? I don't okay <laughs> i don't i you know I, I don't think of it that way i don't you know the only thing I can say is I'm brutally honest but I'm honest in every single way like I don't need to lie to people and i you know I've never stiffed anybody for money like i'm I'm just that's the way I am. I fight for my clients uh-huh
0: um
1: you know that's that's what? kind of uh, you know like if you want if you wanted to um if you wanted to uh, you know look at it from that way I, I I just say like I'm a stand-up person so
0: lovely lovely now in terms of the people that you represent you know and I'm sure every situation is uniquely different and defined uh, according to a whole host of reasons and things um but how long do you stay with a particular client? Is it until they achieve the goal that you mutually decide upon? Is is where you want to get your client to go, and where your client themselves wish to go, or is it once they continue to, uh, you know, they're they're riding the momentum of what they've continued to cultivate in terms of their content, their their popularity, their presence? Uh, do you? I don't. Th-
1: I don't. I don't leave anybody specifically. I mean, it's like any relationship. Sometimes the relationship ends. Yeah. Sometimes, it, you know, you both tried hard to achieve something. It didn't happen. So you agree to disagree, you know. Okay. Um, you know, the goal from the beginning is to work together as long as possible. I signed The Tragically Hip in 1986 with my partner, Alan Gregg. And, you know, I managed them until 2003. Wow. So that was, eight, that was 18 years.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic.
1: So, you know, I managed The Watchmen for 14 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so we, we all, you know, the, the the goal always from the beginning is that you want to have a long, fruitful relationship. You know, I operate always from a standpoint of career management. I'm not there to sort of let's make a deal and make some money and then move on to the next deal. You know, that's not what I do.
0: Right. No, I get it. But I think it's still an important question to ask because in certain industries, let's just, if we parallel that with, say, for example, somebody who's going to a therapist, and, you know, people will say, okay, well, if if nothing's changed or you haven't mutually grown or you haven't expanded or you haven't become more innovative, uh, you know, perhaps you need to see a new therapist. Maybe it's better to go and meet somebody else who can bring something to the table that perhaps I haven't or I can't. So not really knowing your industry in the way that you do and this being your expertise and knowing what you do inside and out. I think that's why I'm asking the question because there's a lot of people who plug into the show. They're they're interested in in entrepreneurial spirit for sure. They're interested they everybody loves music. Who who can't resonate with music? We all do. Uh, But in terms of looking at it from its own perspective as an industry, people don't necessarily understand the nuts and bolts of what keeps people glued together, what draws people apart, what makes something. No, I, th-
1: I think I think I answered it by saying yes, that yes. if it doesn't work, you know it. It's not that different than any kind of relationship, whether it's a marriage or a boyfriend, girlfriend or a girlfriend, girlfriend or a boyfriend, boyfriend. It's, it's the same thing. Right. It's like either it's working and you stay doing it, or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it pretty quickly when yes, would. you know when things start to dissolve. Right. Um, and so- listen, sometimes the client gives up, and they don't really want to. Uh, they don't really want to do it anymore. The band breaks up. That's happened too, where the band breaks up and there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Um, they have other things going on in their lives and they decide this is not going to be their priority. Right. So, you know, um, that's kind of, it's no different than anything else, any other kind of relationship. Um, And you kind of know it when you do. Listen, we've all probably, in anything we've ever done, stayed at something longer than maybe we should have. True. Um, Because, you know, there's a certain... um, uh, there's a certain um, uh, loyalty or whatever. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you usually know when it's time to move on. Right. Well, let me and ask. Like a, therapist, like, a, like a therapist, you know. Right. In, in that way. Yeah. Or, you know, but, I, but in, in a lot of ways, you know, that's kind of what I do too. You know, I spend a lot of time talking to my clients about things that have nothing to do with their career.
0: Well, no doubt that you would when you're working that closely and that intimately and you're talking about, I'm sure a lot of their, well, we know for a fact, I don't have to make it out like it's a presumption. We know that a lot of artists, their greatest content comes from their real life experiences, call it pain, call it heartbreak, call it loss, call it grieving, call it whatever. Um, So, you know, when you're traveling that journey with somebody side by side, you know, you'd be privy to a lot of things that don't necessarily have anything to do with, with the music per se. Um, which leads me to something because I just want to go backwards to something you just said there in terms of, you know, when relationships, business, personal or otherwise, uh, you know, they tend to separate for a whole host of reasons. If you're working with somebody who, you know, perhaps they're feeling blocked Or something's happened where they're feeling a little bit more fragile, a little bit more vulnerable, so they're not feeling top of their game and they don't feel – like they're more in their head, so they're starting to get self-conscious or whatever the case may be, and they want to throw in the towel. Are you able to – uh, not that you don't want to respect their wishes but when you see that it's coming from a place of them operating at their lowest vibrational level and not something that would be characteristically how they would navigate the journey do you then go into like mentorship role and say okay look let's just take a break from this you're going through a lot of stuff right now I don't think this is ultimately what you want to to definitively decide for yourself let's just Put on the brakes for a bit, reevaluate, reassess, and come back to the drawing board. Like, have you kind of coached? Is
1: that a, uh, Lisa, is that a question? or Are you telling me?
0: Oh, um, I'm. am asking. No, yeah. because
1: because because look, what I do is I'm a cheerleader, I'm yep. a therapist, I'm a business person, I'm all of those things, and and so you know, there's plenty of times. I you know, I was on a phone call with a client this morning. Mm -hmm. who was, you know, who just was presented with an awesome new opportunity and couldn't stop talking about, you know, the people that got in his way for a different opportunity. And I said, look, you know, that already happened. And you have this other opportunity that's unbelievable. So why are we even talking about this other opportunity? That (laughs) didn't happen. Right. And... And they went. Oh yeah, you're right. I said, you know, let me tell you something about really good. This is. I had this conversation 90 minutes ago.
0: Uh-huh. I said,
1: let me tell you something about entrepreneurs. Real entrepreneurs don't look backwards. Right. They look forwards. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because you can't change what already happened. True. So it's time to let's just let's just keep looking forwards.
0: Love it. Absolutely.
1: And, and and that's what it's about. There's a great book that I read called The Geography of, of Genius.
0: hmm
1: And it talks about these clusters of genius that happened in different, in, in, over historical times in different um, cities around the world. hmm And it sort of does an analysis on why. Why did this happen then? Why did this happen then? And what was really interesting is when 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 the guy was doing an analysis of all the geniuses, the so-called, you know, the Aristotle's, the Socrates, the, you know, the the Steve Steve Jobs, like, you know, he yeah. got it all the way forward. He said that none of them looked backwards.
0: hmm
1: They always look forwards.
0: Absolutely, and one and, does have. And, to do
1: yeah. I think that, you know, that's part of what I do is, is focus, is, is getting, getting my clients focused on what's really important, you know, how to prioritize those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And I got to tell you, I can't say I knew all this when I started. This mm-hmm. is stuff that even I've learned over the years, you know, I've been doing this 37 years. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I, you know, when I first started, I was flying by the seat of my pants. It's like the guy the guy who said to me, "Don't worry, you'll be good." He must have known something, you know. I was, <laughs> I was in in two thousand thirteen. I was um, I was inducted into the, I guess you would refer to it as the manager's Hall of Fame, and, and I invited I invited him and his wife, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the to the induction, and I said, like, here he is. This is the guy who, you know, as much as I can discover talent, and I you know, look for, for great talent. Here's a guy that saw something in me, that trusted in me to work with him. Now, nothing ever happened with that group, but it was, you know, one begot the other begot the other. Yeah. You know? So, so that's how things, that's how, you know, the relationship business works. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I credited him with having enough faith in me Mm-hmm. To, to you know trust in me that I was at least going to he knew I would work hard for him
0: fantastic well we're kind of getting to the bottom of the hour here Jake so I you know I'd like to give you the opportunity not only to let people know where they can connect with you uh, you know artists out there who perhaps maybe want to have a conversation with you about being represented by you um, but what does living fearlessly mean to you
1: I think, you know, um, I will tell you that after having seen the Tragically Hip on tour in 2016, I hadn't seen them for some time, and I I was on the, I went to six of the shows, and I went to the first show in Vancouver, uh, I went to the, the two shows in Vancouver, the first show was in Victoria, and the second and third show were in Vancouver, and after having seen Gord Downey and what he went through, and him up on stage that night, I just said, you know, this is perspective for all of us to live by, and and I, I at that point I said to myself, okay, you know, you have to live in the moment. You have yes. To, you have to live in the moment, and and that goes right back to don't look back. You know.
0: Absolutely absolutely and so in terms of upcoming talent who do you have your eye on that perhaps might not be a notable name at this point but who you see star quality somebody who really shines
1: well i'm working with this this group called Commandeer deer that i'm very excited about
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and i think they have a huge promise as far as music goes um, um i'm also working with uh, uh you know a great chef and um a few others you know so, right. Um, Christine Tizard. I work with a, a stylist. I'm working with this young author named Al- Alessia Dixon, who she's 18. She's already written her first book. She has her second book being written. She's won all kinds of literary prizes. Brilliant. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. And so, who very quickly are some of your tangible, intangible mentors that have really helped you along your journey?
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm. There was a guy named Dave Kirby who was one of the first guys that ever sort of took me under his wing in the early '80s. Mm-hmm. And then in '86, I, I in '85 I met Alan Gregg, and we became partners in '86. And he was probably the biggest in, uh, mentor for me in terms of uh, knowing how to run a business and that kind of thing. So.
0: Amazing. So for people who are listening right now who are, uh, you know, aspiring, not necessarily just musicians, because as you said, you showcase different people who do different things, um, you know, if they were looking for some insight from you uh, in terms of gelling, bonding, uh, something that goes a little bit against the grain for what people would normally characteristically say, okay, you've got star quality, you know, what what would you ask them to bring to the table? And and outside of just it being their number one priority and commitment and and no contingency plan, no plan B, what else do they need to bring to the table to be taken seriously by you?
1: Um, They have to have a real sense of self. Right. That's really important Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that they know who they are. I'm not a packager right you know i'm not the guy that says put on these clothes let's get some dancers we'll get you some songs and we're going to turn you into a star that's not what i do
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so a sense of self is really important
0: and how can you tell I mean, I mean obviously you're old enough you've lived enough you've got experience and you're with people all the time so you can pick up on things a lot of the non-verbals you can pick up on authenticity and true leadership and people's uh, level of self-awareness and self-belief um, but how can you tell if somebody like somebody might think I really do believe in myself I really do have self-confidence I am really assertive I am really all in how can you discern sometimes questioning that i mean do you have periods where you question okay is this really true like testing people's congruency
1: you know that's that's the learning curve with mm-hmm. anybody you you see when it, you know you with any kind of talent you see whether they actually have the talent whether they have the ability to move people you know i always like to say you know my biggest my biggest asset is i know how to spot charisma and mm-hmm. that's kind of what i'm looking for so, if they have all that, then you start to learn about each other. You
0: mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. And who are some of your favorite musicians outside of people that you've represented? I told you Peter Gabriel. Yeah, and aside from Peter Gabriel, because of course he stands in a category all his own, but who else has been up there for you in, in your life?
1: Like Cat Stevens. Yeah. Um, um, there's a lot, there's so many you know i was really into progressive rock in the 70s i'm a big fan of pearl jam yeah um i really i really like this uh, band uh july talk i think they have the goods to be a huge act um, mm-hmm. you know
0: okay. so and do you, do you find yourself chiming into the voice and other programs that showcase music musicians do you have no. time for that no
1: no I I never watched Idol before I was on it, and I'm not really a fan of that stuff.
0: Well, that's interesting. May I ask why?
1: Uh, Because I prefer to work with creators. I don't necessarily work with just singers.
0: Okay. Okay. And... Do you find sometimes does it have that feel or that flavor sometimes where it just feels like karaoke because not very many people are are going out on the stage to have their their one moment to shine and it's it's not original it's kind of copycat even if they infuse their own version or their own flavor into it is it is it too karaokeish for you?
1: No, it's I, I it's it's not about that. It's just like I work with creators, right? So it's so they're not creators.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: You know, okay. I work with people who, who um, who you know, make a living from their imagination.
0: Okay. And do you play any musical instruments yourself?
1: Nope. No? Not a lick.
0: <laughs> and if you could, if you could learn an instrument, if that even interested you remotely, what, what instrument do you think you might gravitate toward?
1: Hmm. Probably a cello. A cello. I like, how, I like how they sound. Okay. Yeah, Commandeer has a, an amazing cellist in the band, and they have a violinist as well. Uh-huh. Um, but I really love the sound of a cello.
0: Yes, beautiful. And it's only
1: four strings, so.
0: Yeah, a little easier to learn, perhaps?
1: <laughs> uh, not if you saw the way Adam played. That's a whole other level of cellist, so.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow. I just had this uh, vision of Ashley McIsaac. I don't know if if he's doing anything recent these days. Well, he's a
1: violinist. He's a yeah. fiddler.
0: Yeah, he is. He's a, but he's, a,
1: he's a he's a wonderful guy. We spent um 1997 another roadside attraction. We spent a couple of weeks on tour together. So.
0: Fantastic. Wonderful. And so do you ever find yourself coming full circle even if you're no longer representing these people, um, but you're still a part of their journey, either fast forward, they're having kids, they're getting married, or they're producing something new? Are you welcomed back into the fold? Do you find yourself crossing paths with people and it becoming full circle again?
1: Well, I don't know if we, uh, there's a difference between being involved with someone in their life and friends as opposed to being in a business relationship. Yeah. You know, most of them we remain friends, um, and um, you know, like I talk to the guys in the hip, and I talk to the guys in the Watchmen, and you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, you know, so that that kind of stuff. Fast Jordan and I, you know, we worked together for nine years. We talk all the time. We're like brother and sister, you know. So,
0: absolutely. Lovely. And so when we talk about leadership, whether it's in your particular industry or outside of the industry, because it tends to become a bit of a buzzword and it can be, you know, it kind of loses its meaning sometimes, especially when we see how it's depicted or embodied these days and not to turn it into a political debate, uh, but it is, it's, it's kind of like an overused word that sometimes loses its meaning. What does leadership mean to you, Jake?
1: Um, probably lead by example, mm-hmm and lead to allow your people to do their own thing
0: Yes, yeah
1: absolutely yeah, I, think, I think that's it
0: okay, now, given that you're out in the public, you know people would probably know a lot about you, but what might surprise not only myself? But the listeners and maybe even people who have been your peers, people who have been your colleagues, people who you've represented, clients, what what do people not necessarily know about you?
1: That I have a really great sense of design and art. Wow. That's one of my biggest passions is art, design, and architecture.
0: Beautiful. And so how do you hone that? How how do you cultivate that? Is that something that you spend... Do you donate your extra time? Should there be any extra time, or, or do you make time for that because you find it soothing and cathartic and therapeutic?
1: Um, I I collect mid-century modern furniture. I'm an art collector. I love um, looking for interesting pieces of furniture, I you know, um, art. I go to a lot of museums. I do a lot of things. I go to okay. a lot of galleries, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: So, do people who know that about you, do they seek you out for your your opinion on things, design, a taste? I have Uh, plenty
1: of friends that always ask me to go furniture shopping with them or take them to flea markets and…
0: Lovely. You
1: know, that kind of stuff.
0: Well, I'd love to go shopping with you, Jake.
1: (laughs) I'm to Toronto.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, you're not that far from me, actually. But… so, do you find yourself doing a lot of traveling, or are you pretty stationary?
1: No, I travel a lot.
0: You do, eh? And does that, yeah, get, old? Yeah. Does that get old for you, or do you actually still quite enjoy it?
1: No, no, I, I really do.
0: Okay. And where are some of your favorite destinations?
1: Um, well, it depends.
0: Know, it could be- for work
1: or for play, or like I, I'm I'm confused by that question. Oh, so both.
0: Both. I mean it could be the same answer for both personal and professional, or it could be I, completely different.
1: I I really like going to Paris. Okay. And I like Denmark.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I like Australia.
0: Mm hmm. Lovely. And how do you like still living in Toronto? You love Toronto? I
1: love Toronto, yeah. I love Toronto. I lived in New York for a few years, and but I really like Toronto.
0: Fantastic! And so, knowing that you've had the experience of working with people abroad, people in the states, uh, and people in Canada, wh- what do you think is is a defining difference between Canadian caliber and American caliber? Is it that it gets showcased more so in the states, or or do you feel that we're both now? Canadians and Americans are both being properly represented or or what do you what do you think that's all about
1: um I I don't know how to answer that question I I don't think I think that um you know if you're going to try and make it in in anywhere outside of Canada you have to start acting like you're not from Canada in a lot of ways okay you know and I don't mean to say that you're not Canadian what I'm saying is is you know, I think a lot of acts make the mistake that, um, you know, they'll put in the five years to get somewhere in Canada. And then when they go to America, they think they start at the same place they were are at currently in Canada. But they forget you got to put those same five years in, if not more, because it's a way bigger place.
0: Right. Right. So much more competitive, obviously.
1: It's not so much the competition. It's just got to put in the work.
0: Right. Okay fair you know, enough
1: you gotta you gotta put in the work mm-hmm okay you know
0: so would you consider yourself a bit of a visionary a manifester
1: um, a visionary manifester you know I don't know about that I mean I, I'll right. let someone else decide. I'll let someone else decide that uh, i don't i don't I don't call myself a visionary. I I think that's for other people to say. Well,
0: I I don't mean it in terms of like labeling yourself. I'm I'm trying to get more to uh, the mindset. So in terms of what you've endeavored to accomplish in your life, that obviously comes from the mindset of somebody who I would think is goal-oriented, somebody who sees, okay, this is where I want to be in one year from now, this is where I want to be five years from now, this is who I'd like to work with maybe in six years from now. Um, So do you, based on that description, do you see yourself as a bit of a a visionary?
1: Um, Well, I, I think those are two very different things. I think, you know, planning goals is not necessarily, in my mind, what a visionary is. I think well, a visionary. I think a visionary is somebody who, um, who uh, has, looks at things differently than most people do. I think they they correct? they they look at opportunities differently than most people do. They they plan strategically different than most people do, Mm -hmm. Um, and they look at the overall big picture as opposed to the small stuff, Um, and I think, uh, and they're always, you know, three, four steps ahead, Yes. Um, and I I think that's, to me, what a visionary does, and I also think real visionaries um, have to know to recognize, you know, failure, Mm -hmm. and knowing when to pivot. Right. Because it, it doesn't always, um, it, it, it doesn't all, it's, it's not a straight line. Mm-hmm. So you can do all the planning you want, but, um, especially when you're dealing with creative culture, um, sometimes things hit and you got to pivot and sometimes things don't and you have to pivot.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It. it Basically, essentially, you know, wording it a little bit differently, but it comes down to, in my opinion, you know, adapt, change, or die. Really?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't.
0: I mean, I that think might. Those
1: are, on, honestly, Lisa, I think those are really trite words that people use as sort of these catchphrases, mm-hmm. and and I find all of it just just you know bullshit. To be honest with you. Okay. I think I think I think way too many people, you know work off these catchphrases and I, you know, you see them on Instagram and people posting and you see them on, you know, these other social media outlets and, you know, it, and most of those people don't actually do anything. They just quote, they just put quotes up. You know, it's like I, I, I had a client once um, I was having an argument with and they sent me a page out of a, uh, out of this uh, book that a, a lawyer wrote all about, you know, everything you wanted to know about the music business. And he sent me a page about manager-artist relationships. And I wrote him back and I said, you know, you're the kind of people that we laugh at. And I said, we laugh at you because you're quoting a book from a guy that never actually was a manager. <laughs> He's a lawyer. So, so I said, you know, I'll pretend I didn't get that from you.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So,
1: you know I, I I don't have a lot of time for people who don't actually sit in my chair every day.
0: Right. But I mean, I, I come from the abstract, too. And for somebody like yourself who really appreciates the creative process, you know, whether we're in exactly the same world or not, you know, there are people who definitely undeniably do walk their talk. And yes, again, because we're in an oversaturated industry and everyone's on social media, sometimes you do see a lot of recycled, regurgitated stuff and it it loses it loses credibility and, and it does lose legitimacy and impact I get that because people are saying the same things but not everybody's walking the talk so
1: I I, they're just they're just statements they don't mean anything it's like they're just statements and that's my point it's like I see this stuff all the time and it just drives me crazy I drives me crazy that people make a living out there speaking statements you know (laughs) I just, it drives me crazy. I, I, I don't, uh, I don't, like, I've been asked to do speaking engagements and stuff, and I go, what? So I can go out there and just spew a whole bunch of statements, you know? Right. Or, or regurgitate other people's information? Yeah, it's it's not for me. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't uh, aspire to that. Um, you know, people have asked me if I should write a book, and I'm like, you know, yeah, it's like sort of I'll, I said I'll write the book when I'm no longer in the business, so no one will be mad at me.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I'd love to have you back on radio uh, at that juncture but um, you know it's just and I get what you're saying like, I, I think it's I just love hearing how other people think and how they back that up with what it is that they say and I again I, I hear what you're saying and I can see things from Devil's Advocate. All the time. And I think you have to be uh, because you need to know who your audience is and you need to know who you're engaged with and how it is that they think, their psyche, their mindset. But I think, you know, the reason why some of these things may, and I'm not putting words, but to other people who are listening who may share in your opinion, Jake, you know, oftentimes, you know, sometimes the same thing does sound redundant. You know, you've heard it a million different times. It does sound like it's a buzzword or it's a catchphrase or it's someone else's statement. But sometimes on the flip side to that, and this is where I always prefer to go because if it means saving somebody or helping somebody or really helping somebody to shift where they make this huge monumental change in their life, then – that for me, it's worth it versus the other people who are, you know, uh, are opposed to it or their critics or whatever the case may be. But we all know, like whether you're talking Tony Robbins, whether you're talking certain musicians who have cited the same thing, you know, I've heard that many, many times phrased before, but the way in which that was said or the fact that that came back with a particular example cited, that really tweaked for me. That really, really tweaked for me. So I always err on the side of you never know how the one thing that perhaps has been said time and time again really does transition somebody. So something to consider.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? I guess. I mean, I'm not here to persuade. You. I'm not here to persuade you or change anyone's mind. I'm just saying there's another way of looking at it. There's always multiple perspectives that are simultaneously. Yeah, working.
1: listen. There, there's all kinds of multiple perspectives, but you know, my my focus is on mine.
0: Absolutely. You
1: know, and and you know, I know what I do well, and I know what what I don't do well. You know, right. um, and that's a that's a learning curve in itself. So
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jake, we really have to say cheerio at this point, but I just want to say I want to uh, really thank you for the gift of your time. I know you're off the hook busy, and uh, I just want to say that this has been a pleasure for me. I know you probably do interviews all the time, but I really enjoyed this, and uh, and I, I, I do. I like your bluntness. I like your you know brass tacks. I'm going to say what I say, and you can like it or not like it. You can like me, not like me. I love that. It's a breath of fresh air, so thank you for that. Uh, to my Hello. listening audience.
1: On- hey. Thanks for having me, Lisa.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure, Jake, and I certainly wish you all my best. And to my listening audience, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your schedule, for tuning in to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald here at the Contact Talk Radio Network. I want to thank you for being one of over 330,000 Living Fearlessly podcast subscribers. Can't do it alone. So I really appreciate the fact that the content, the guests I have, the high galliber guests who are always imparting their own wisdom, their own insight, uh, that that resonates with you. That means a lot to me. Uh, I want to encourage you to have a wonderful weekend and to continue to live fearlessly. And we'll be back here again next Friday with another amazing guest. Thanks so much. Take care. Love and gratitude. All my best. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com.